Hi! Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. In this episode, we talk to the Blue Bombers general manager, Kyle Walters, about changes to the CFL draft and why he was a big part of making them happen. We'll also talk to the newest member of the Canada West Hall of Fame, all the way from near Meadow Portage, Manitoba. That's all coming up on the podcast. The CFL also tweaking its plans for the 2021 draft as they are shortening the draft from eight rounds to six, and they are going to be having a random draw to determine the order of the draft because there was no season this year. Joining me to talk about this is the general manager of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Kyle Walters. Kyle, how are you tonight? I'm great, thanks. How are you? I'm doing well. So this uh, this discussion to come up with these draft rules now, probably like six months ahead of the draft, uh, why was this? Why were these changes decided upon, in your opinion? Well, I I, I was the one who promoted this when when this came down about you know a, a few months ago about the the draft order or the waiver wire, and it was it was the exact same as the 2019 season where we were slotted last, you know, uh, ninth in the first round. I said, well, what? I don't see how this is fair. I mean, we didn't play a 2020 season, and I'm assuming every team all nine teams assumed they were going to put a team together that was going to win the Grey Cup. So we have no idea how the season was going to finish in 2020. So I, I just didn't think fair that, you know, the team that picked first Toronto would get to pick first again. And uh, the team that picked ninth us would, would, would be in that same position. So I proposed it and um, got the discussion rolling. And, and, uh, you know, other than, uh, other than teams that were picking one and two, everybody else seemed on board with it and seemed fair. And, um, you know, it, it finally came through that it, like all things, it takes time to go through the proper channels. But um, as I said, without a, without a season, we uh, this seemed like the most fair way to 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 um, head into the draft. Well, and it's an unprecedented situation for the CFL in most leagues. They're determining their draft order by who was the worst, and so on from there. The NHL. Back in 05, when they had the lockout, they always do a draft lottery. So they just changed the lottery and weighted it a little differently. So this seems to make the most sense. And then you do the snake order. It's basically like a fantasy football draft. 100%. That's exactly what it's going to be like. And what's exciting, especially from my standpoint, as we found out today, we're not we're not going to know before the fans and the public. So on the, um, on the 21st part of that CFL Grey Cup week, they're going to do the they're going to do the draw and they're going to they're going to announce the the, uh, the draft order. So I'll be I'm, I'm very interested to see where the Winnipeg Blue Bombers draft on the uh, and we won't find out until the 21st, just like all the fans out there too. So that's kind of a kind of a cool twist on things. And and you know I I, I, I will certainly be paying attention to, to that announcement on the 21st. And I think TSN is going to be broadcasting it. So it'll be a kind of a cool deal to get people, you know, trying to keep the CFL. In, in the in their in their mind and in their thoughts, absolutely. And is this going? Do you know if it's going to be like uh, the draft lottery, where they just come out and show team by team, or are we actually going to see them pick the name out of the hat per se? I don't know exactly the format. You know, they did. We didn't get into too many of the details, and I'm sure the league will sort that out. It was basically today was just what, whatever you guys think is the best route. I mean, whatever the league decides, and and whatever TSN thinks is the coolest for for the fans to watch. So, you know, the, the, we had a call today and, and all the teams, the, the nine general managers thought, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever TSN and, and the league decides, 
we're, we're all on, on board with, and we can't wait to as I can't wait to see. And now this draft is being shortened from eight to six rounds. That's just because there's going to be so many rookies already from this past year's draft that you don't want to kind of overload the pool. Yeah, and it'd be tough. You know what I mean? You're looking at you know the 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 eight or nine kids from last year that every team will have, and then you know even reduced to six. That's going to be fifteen. 15 Canadian draft picks in a training camp, which is a lot, lot higher than normal, which will, which is, you know, will be good competition. And, you know, I think you're going to see, I, I think what it's going to promote is a good group of young Canadians coming into the league next year, because it'll be two full draft class. And that's, you know, kind of the, if you try to, I'm always trying to be positive on all of this stuff. And, and the positive will be that there's going to be a real strong group of young Canadians on each team's roster, which is always good for the CFL. Now, the no territorial selections part of this draft, what kind of significance does that have? Yeah, you know, who knows? It's, you know, it's, it's, it was quite a, quite a bonus for particularly the teams in, in you know, t- Toronto where, where there is, and, and Montreal where you look at generally where the most, and it's population where the most amount of draft picks originate or, or come from or, or grow up, I guess is what it is. So, you know, those, if, if, Toronto or or one of those teams were to draft first again it just didn't seem if they if they win the draw it just didn't seem fair that they would get an extra pick on top so I think in fairness to everybody that the territorial picks will uh, with this draft format were were put on hold for a year and there's also the knowledge that there will be players who are very good university players who will come out and enter the draft but also there are going to be some that say you know what I'm not satisfied. I didn't get my final year. I'm going to go back to school for one more year, and then they'll try the draft in 2022. Yeah, I believe that that'll be the option. I think that all has to get sorted out, and, and each coach and their players at the university level talk to them. And I've had great conversations with a lot of the coaches, and you know that, that'll be really important for maybe a player who had injury issues in 2019. Because you know, when, when I go back and, and we start watching all the film for this draft class, it'll be from the 2019 film. So if a player was maybe banged up or injured or, or some of them had academic issues or, or they just hadn't had a chance to shine yet and, and this was going to be their year, uh, then, then those will be the players I think that will defer to be able to go back and show what they can do. But I think you're going to see, you know, to – to the point that we were talking about with all the players that were drafted and they're all going to have, you know, in the Canadian, the youth sports, they're going to have an extra year of eligibility. So I think, you know, there might not just be, there might not be room in training camp for everybody. So you might draft a, a player or two more that, that with the plans of sending them back to school. And that could go from last year's draft class too. that, you know, theoretically those players we drafted last year from the youth sports schools that have, you know, that may have ended up back for, their last year of eligibility, which would have been 2020, you know, they didn't lose that eligibility. So they, you know, they, they could go back to 2021. Now that's a, you know, it would have been, that's a lot of schooling. And, but if, if some of them are heading into their masters or whatever they're going to do, that's, that's will be something we have to discuss with, with that group as well, that do they end up the group we drafted last year combined with the group we're going to draft this year, how many of them are ending up back at their youth sports school to use their final year of eligibility? Does it make your job harder that you have to just watch old film heading into the draft coming up? Yeah, much, much way harder. I mean, I, I, I anticipate and hope this draft in regards to the evaluation process will be uh, better than last because I would rather watch 
2019 film and see the players at the combines. I found it tough last year where you just were going off game film, you know, with the, with, with, with uh, when the COVID hit right during all the, all the combines that we didn't get to see last year's draft class in person and see the measurables. So that was, that was a real challenge. I, I anticipate that, you know, again, <laughs> hopefully everything gets back to some semblance of normalcy and, and, you know, and in March we're having eval camps and, and, and I'm not sure how realistic that is or isn't, but that's, you know, that's what we're planning on and, and hoping for that we'll study the 2019 film of these players and, and talk to them and talk to their coaches and, and, uh, you know, they've all been on the field now, you know, and, and some talking to the coaches around Canada, uh, varying levels of, of practices that they've been able to have d- during all of this that, you know, the players have been out there running around at the very least and they, you know, haven't been playing games, but they've been out practicing and uh, it, it will be real good to see them in person in March if, if you know, all, all things get going and pointing in the right direction. Let's let's hope we get back to some kind of normalcy like next year for sure. Before I let you go, Kyle, this we're coming up on the the one year anniversary of the Grey Cup title run. The West semifinal anniversary is Tuesday. Have you spent much time looking back? No, it just seems, geez, it seems like a lifetime ago, doesn't it? I mean, it's it's hard to believe it's just been a year with what what a year we've gone through. So it's been real tough. And talking about this draft stuff is, you know, I've it's been nice to turn my attention to that from a semblance of normalcy and focus on the draft and, and try to be optimistic that we're moving forward in the right direction and, and uh, worry about, you know, talking with coaches and evaluating players. So as I said, it's, it is hard to believe that it's a year ago was the West, the, the West semi it's, uh, or, you know, it's, it seems like a lifetime ago to be honest with you, which is, which is, you know, sad, sad for our city and our team that we had such a good run and we should be, you know, we've right about now, we should be, you know, figuring out a way to, to head into the playoffs to defend our Grey Cup. And it just obviously didn't work out that way. Right. What, uh, until this process, I mean, you, you had a lot of months there where you normally would have been doing football stuff. What have you been doing this past the time? Well, there was a lot of the, uh, you know, right up until, right, right up until not too long ago, there was still the, the idea of a global draft, which was an astronomical amount of work, digging up film from all these players around the globe and doing the Zoom interviews and doing all that stuff. And, you know, we're still trying to evaluate the American players and, um, you know, getting players to training camp and figuring that out um, through film study. And, you know, when, when the opt-out opt window came, that was a fair bit of work, talking to the players and making sure the players and the agents understood all the parameters of if they want to opt out, here's what has to be done in the, in the um, paperwork that goes along with it. And, and unfortunately the last, the last little bit has been dealing with, you know, possible budget scenarios heading into next season and what that might look like and, and uh, roster scenarios and, and all that sort of stuff, which hasn't really been that enjoyable with, you know, all the, all the tough decisions that not just uh, Winnipeg Blue Bombers and uh, a lot of local businesses and a lot of businesses globally are having to deal with some tough, tough decisions. So, you know, trying to come up, trying to make some really, really tough decisions, you know, personnel-wise and, and and budgetary-wise has been a, has been a tough go the last little bit, to be honest with you. I imagine. Well, Kyle, I appreciate you taking time to talk to me tonight, and uh, we'll uh, stay tuned to see what position you're picking in the draft. Yeah, that'll be exciting. Something to look forward to on the 21st for everybody to see where uh, see where we pick. All right. Thanks, Kyle. All right. Anytime. 
newest member of the Canada West Hall of Fame. It was revealed this week to be Tammy Mahan Slaworski, Holland, Manitoba's own two-time national volleyball champion with the Manitoba Bisons in 2001, 2002, went on a decade-long career with the Canadian national team as well as pro stops in Europe in Sweden, the Netherlands, Romania, Azerbaijan, Greece, Germany, and now are on a ranch near Meadow Portage, Manitoba. Look it up. With her husband and two kids. It's right near the base of Lake Winnipeg Osas. And Tammy joins us now on the show. Tammy, congrats on the honor. When did you find out you were going to be inducted? I talked to Coach Ken there from U of M about a month ago, and he said he had thrown my name uh, in the ring for it and told me that it was accepted and that they um, were were giving me this honor. So he told me about a month ago, and um, not that I forgot about it because it's a not because it's a small thing at all. I just life's busy, and I kind of had forgotten about it. And then the press release came out yesterday, and and I was like overwhelmed because so many, so many people were texting me and calling me or or commenting on Facebook. So um, yeah, so I found out about it about a month ago. I talked to to Ken about it, but I hadn't really mentioned it to anyone. I didn't really think further about it. And then when the press release came out yesterday, I was like, oh yes, very nice. <laughs> so what does this honor mean to you? I mean, for me, it's 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 a, another chance to walk down memory lane a little bit because the career feels like a lifetime ago. I mean, I uh, I retired in 2013, and since then, you know, I've I've moved out here to um, the ranch and got married and had two kids, and so in many ways, it feels like a lifetime ago. And and in other instances, I can close my eyes and still. Uh, hear the sounds of the change room and think of the times with the girls and being on the court and training. So um, it means it means a lot to still be relevant in the world of volleyball because I'm so far removed from it kind of in my current life. Um, so it's very nice to be considered for an award like this. And I'm, I'm in esteemed company with others who have been um, inducted already and who will be inducted. So it's it's a very nice honor to have my name um, recognized and kind of put with all these other established players who I considered role models or players that I looked up to during my career also. You mentioned it's another chance to walk down memory lane. How often do you think about those the glory days of Bison's volleyball? <laughs> very often, actually. You it does. It is kind of comical that I ended up in the middle of Manitoba running a ranch with my husband, and um, but you would be shocked how many times a day I use the skill set and the things that I learned playing volleyball, and specifically at U of M with um, kind of our mantra there and the way that we worked and our dedication and our hard work and our persistence and just kind of grinding it out every day that really sums up cattle ranching, actually, <laughs> just working it, working hard and working together on a team and grinding it out. And so I often uh, think of my volleyball career and the things that I have been able to use from it in my everyday life. So, yeah, I think about it lots and still have lots of great friends um, from that time, one of who is just 30 kilometers down the road from me, Kathy Preston, who was Rehurchuk back, uh, back in our U of M days. And so her and I, you know, live close together now. And so we can often make little inside jokes about our volleyball journey at U of M and reference all the fun things that we did there. Do you still play volleyball even recreationally? 
No, there's not a ton of opportunity for playing uh, out here, but I do try to get in the gym. Obviously, this year is a unprecedented year for everything, um, and in terms of organized events or camps or anything. But every summer, I do try to um, dabble a little bit in running some camps or going to some practices or making guest coaching appearances. Um, our little school where my daughter's in kindergarten, I went there last year and did a few things for, you know, the grade eight boys. And I've gone to Dawson and done a camp every year there for the last summer, for the last five years with Kathy, actually. And um, Dawson's a great volleyball community. They have, well, Tabby Love came out of Dawson. She also played for Team Canada for a few years. And they have a great volleyball community there and a lot of really great coaches and good club programs. So it's given me the opportunity to go to a few practices or be able to run camps or whatever it is in Dawson when I have uh, free time. Too early to say if your kids are going to grow up to be volleyball players too? <laughs> well, they already know how to bump set and spike and they're three and five. So <laughs> there's there's a safe, a safe bet that uh, there'll be some volleyball going on. But my husband was a big um, sports guy too, loved baseball and loves playing hockey. And so we're a pretty sports-minded family. There's no doubt we had – race tracks, racing strips cutting the lawn here in the back in the back lawn this summer. So they're pretty pretty sports minded already for sure. So for you, your story of growing up in small town Manitoba and ending up on a national volleyball team, what does that say about the possibility that anybody can do what you did? Yeah, I mean I think I think my story is um I look back on it now and, you know, in the moment, I probably didn't realize maybe how special or spectacular it was because I just, I just did it. You know, it started in high school with, with the track and field and high jumping and playing multi-sports because that's, uh, you know, that's what we did then. We didn't really specialize as much in one sport. We played, played all the sports and, um, I think I had along my journey I was I was very fortunate in in some instances with coaches and people who inspired me and um if I can come out of a town of 450 people and find my way to being captain of team Canada then yeah I would say probably anybody who puts their mind to something and you know has good support along the way and is driven to just continue improving and not give up, then I would say, uh, you know, you can kind of carve your own path for sure. How do you think playing other sports like track and field and basketball helped you in your volleyball game? I'll I'll always be an advocate of being a multi-sport athlete. There is zero doubt in my mind that, um, that playing those other sports helped me with my volleyball, not only the physical skills, because volleyball, wasn't really my best sport. Like in grade 12, I could barely set 10 balls against the wall in a row. Like, and that's not a joke. Like I, I was, I was naturally athletic, but I wasn't a great volleyball player then. I, but I used all my skills that I learned in all my sports to kind of quickly take me to that next level. And I think it just is a great thing for, for a lot of reasons, you know, on, it's good to learn from different coaches because every coach has a different way of instructing or disciplining or different expectations of you, you know, your volleyball coach versus your basketball coach versus your track coach. And then you look at something like high jumping, which I did a ton of in, 
in high school, that's an individual sport versus a team sport like volleyball. So there you're also kind of learning different things about being your own athlete and playing on a team. And maybe on your basketball team, you're the fifth best player or you come off the bench and, and play that kind of role. Whereas on the volleyball team, you're a starter, you know, it's important. You can learn how to play different roles within a team. And um, I will always be an advocate of playing multi multi sports for that reason. What was it like playing pro volleyball in Europe? Uh, it felt like a dream then. It still feels like a dream now. It was it was a really um, a really phenomenal experience to play over in Europe. I was lucky. I was lucky enough to dabble in a few different countries there and meet some wonderful people and just experience different cultures and different ideas about about the sport and the sporting world and I mean we had some really wonderful experiences over there and uh, it was definitely a highlight. I always loved coming home to Canada and being with the national team but it was always exciting um, in the fall thinking you know where am I going to play next year and like where the offer is going to come from and it was always kind of exciting packing the bags and going to a new foreign country to a new team and who knew what was going to be thrown at you. It was always very exciting. Do you think pro volleyball could work in Canada? Um, well, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there's enough maybe hype around our sport in Canada to have it be successful on the level like it is over in Europe. Like, I think we could, there are some things from their system that we could model. And I'm sh- I'm certain there's enough good volleyball players in Canada. You know, there's lots of girls who play five years of CIS and then, you know, that's it. And they have been trying in the last few years to run uh, out of Ontario. And I think they started in Alberta to kind of like a semi-pro league. And they've had three or four teams and lots of them are ex-CIS players and or ex-national team players. And they've built up some hype and some excitement around it and, um, I think it would be wonderful, and I think there would be a lot of girls who would continue to play after and and do really well with it. Um, that would be lovely to see. I would coach a team. <laughs> well, I would play. <laughs> but what would happen to the cattle? <laughs> That's right. They'd be everywhere. <laughs> How many do you have? Uh, we calfed out 430 this year. We'll, we'll calf out a few more this year, so... So you've got quite we're, the operation going on up there. Yeah, yeah, we're 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 busy. We have our hands full, and we have two two young kids, three and five. So um, we are we're busy for sure. Well, Tammy, I appreciate you taking time to talk to me today, and uh, congratulations again on this honor. Yeah, perfect. Thanks so much for calling and for doing uh, doing a little story up. Tune in to the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mell, or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow. If you got an Android, then I think you're out of luck, but Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen?